I'm really grateful to be here. And I also want to just say a word of caution. Some of the things I'm going to say, maybe they will be a little sensitive for younger ears, and uh, you can talk with your children about it. Okay, so when Jessica asked me to preach on the global nature of the church, my first reaction was, wait, I am no preacher. What am I going to say? But as I thought about it and prayed, actually, I was very frantic. I wanted to call Craig and talk with Craig, and I felt the Lord say, it's not about Craig. (laughs) And here I was in the office. I was like, did I hear a voice? Okay. The (laughs) The Lord reminded me that I just need to say what he puts in my heart. And so here I am. So Jesus, we pray that you will come and take over and lead us. Amen. So our text today is from Revelation 7, 7, 9 to 17. In this passage, we see multicultural worship of God and the Lamb. God is worshipped by a multitude coming from every nation, tribe, people, and language. This formula, according to scholars, appears in various forms seven times in Revelation. Revelation borrows the formula from Daniel, where the formula is usually threefold, all nations, peoples, and languages. It is fourfold just in the Greek translation of the first instance in Daniel. Both in Daniel and in Revelation, this formula of all nations, peoples, and languages sometimes is good news, sometimes it's bad news. In Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar wants all people to bow to the golden image he has set up. In Revelation, all peoples must bow to the beast. But both in Daniel and in Revelation, there are also representatives of all nations bowing before God's throne. The book of Daniel talks about four beasts representing four evil empires that will be persecuting God's people. During the fourth evil empire, one comes that is not like a beast, but like a man. The son of man comes and the multitude from all nations worship the Ancient of Days, and the Son of Man. God revealed to Daniel what was going to happen when God's kingdom overtakes the empires of this world. When I read Revelation 7, 9 to 17, an image comes to mind, that of the rainbow of worshipers of the living God. And while we come from all peoples, represent many cultures, we are also united together as one people. Revelations 5, to t- 5, 9 to 10, speaks of believers from all peoples before God's throne, but calls them a kingdom and priests, a title for God's people in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. And the image of believers from all peoples in Revelation 7 is also found in the book of Isaiah. We have diversity of cultures and languages, but we are one in the land. God's church is global. 
and culturally and linguistically diverse. It does not consist of one category. So what does the global church look like? Here are a few points for us to consider this morning. The global church is a church in which all God's people are equally welcomed and embraced, and I underline embraced. We all come to God on the same basis. There is no favoritism with God. We all have our respective cultures and languages. We are one church that is multicultural, multilinguistic, multiethnic, multiracial, multicolored in Christ. We are worshipers with different styles, but we worship one God. Our worship goes to our Lord. Asbury Seminary has a worldwide impact for Christ. Asbury Seminary has over 11,000 living alumni serving in 77 countries in 149 unique denominations worldwide and in all 50 U.S. states. Thanks, Tammy. I got these features, these data from the alumni office. So ATS is diversely global. And in Revelation, God celebrates our differences. Yet, the global church is also a place where Christians do not have a silo mindset. We're not created to be isolated islands. A Congolese proverb says, bear with me, it means that the, the river went crooked because it traveled alone. We need one another to be whole, even if the other doesn't look or sound like us. We are called to serve God together, to serve one another, and to serve those who are not yet part of the cloud of witnesses. Therefore, the global church goes beyond racial, ethnic, racial, ethnic, and tribal differences. It goes beyond color lines, class and gender divisions, social differences, and so on. In Christ, we are one. We learn to embrace one another. That is, we learn to get so close to see, smell, touch the other. During the civil war in Congo, the country was divided, and there was a young man who woke up in the wrong part of Brazzaville, the capital of Congo. He was from the wrong tribe, and because he was renting somewhere, and when war came, he found himself in an area with mainly people against his people. And there were roadblocks all over. And he knew that he will not make it alive. And so he went, he was hiding. A nun came outside to stretch in the sun, and she saw him, and she recognized him as the enemy. So she came to the young man with a determined look, and she said, I'm going to do what Christ would want me to do. I'm going to try to save you, but you must do what I say. So you're going to climb on my back, and I'm going to carry you as if I'm taking you to the hospital. The young man was tall and strong, and he was afraid that he would be too heavy for the petite nun. But she said, it is the only way to save you. You have to get close to be feminine. So 
He climbed on her back, faked to be seriously sick, and she carried him through many roadblocks, saying that this was her nephew and she was taking him to the hospital. She was sweating profusely. She was in pain because the heavy load she was carrying, and of course, the Congolese sun was blazing. When she got to a safe place, she put him down. The young man burst into tears. He realized and really thanked the nun for saving his life. She didn't have to do it, but she did it for Christ. You see, this nun embraced the young man who was supposedly her enemy. Jesus embraced us and our setting to the extent that he became one of us and died on the cross for us. The agonizing pain that our Lord Jesus endured at the cross was not for one particular race or one ethnic group or one social class. It was not based on the shade of your skin color or your education. It was for all of the above. For people from all walks of life, all horizons, all ages, all languages, and all nations. Since Jesus gave his life for us, we are all important to him. Diverse, but vital parts of his body. God's calling us to be a light to this world so that the darkness of all the isms and divisions will fall away and people will want to know what makes us stick and join in the narrow path. We are diverse, not uniform. Therefore, our unity in Christ doesn't make us invisible. We are a rainbow church for Jesus. So let us not look down on one another or judge one another because they do not conform to our cultural mold of Christianity. Cultural misunderstanding can create a barrier to us experiencing an authentic, kingdom-oriented journey on this earth. God calls us to welcome, love, embrace, and yes, sometimes forgive one another. The global church is a place of belonging for all, a place where we put down our walls and learn to be vulnerable with one another, a place of healing and restoration, a place where God's people learn to care for one another and carry one another's burdens. The seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 each faced a different situation. In Ephesus, the church has lost its first love. Pergamum and Thyatira were blending into the world's values. In Sardis, the church appears to be alive while in fact it is dead. In Laodicea, the church trusts its wealth instead of trusting God. And the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia face persecution. In Smyrna, the persecution leads to martyrdom. And in Philadelphia, the Lord helps them persevere to victory. Likewise, when we look at the global church today, not surprisingly, there are different tests. There are places where the church has lost its first love, like the evangelical church in Congo. I will talk about my Congo. The zeal and devotion that God's people had during the spiritual awakening of the 1970s in my country of origin has dimmed considerably. And the political repression, coupled with corruption and poverty and trying to blend with the world to survive, 
is not helping the Church of Jesus Christ in Congo. Under harsh conditions, I've noticed that we tend either to strengthen our relationship with our loved ones or to grow apart. And this happens with our relationship with Jesus. The church in Congo Brazzaville is struggling to keep its focus on the Lord. There are places where the church appears to be alive, while in fact it is dying. Many churches in the West today are tested by materialism and are compromising with the world around them, appearing more dead than alive. Being kingdom people often means to go against the prevalent culture, like a fish that is alive in water. My mom used to say, Medin, see the fish swimming? The ones going against the current are the ones that are alive. The ones that follow the current usually are either sick or already dead. We are not called to conform and become uniform with our culture, but to go against cultures that draw us away from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like the churches of Pergamum and Thyatira, tempted by food offered to idols, there are places where the Church of Christ is choked almost to death by the darkness of pagan practices and traditions. The few Christians who try to stand up against such practices are ostracized or pressured into yielding to them. Bethany Tennant is laboring to bring Christ to the Alagua people in Tanzania. A few months back, she stood here on this very pulpit and she called us to a sacrificial prayer for God to build his church in that part of Tanzania. In some parts of the world, often including the US, the church puts its trust in material possessions instead of worshiping the living God. The church turns its back on God and his people who are suffering elsewhere. Instead of focusing our eyes on our wealth, we are called to share with others the blessings God bestowed upon us. Although multiculturalism is God's idea first, we see in Revelation that there is a multiculturalism in the world. People from every nation and tribe worship the beast, and in Daniel, they worship the erected image of King Nebuchadnezzar. The object of our worship, of their worship, was not God. Just as today, people worship money, what Jesus called maman in French. People worship other people, or they worship things instead of worshiping God. God's calling us to worship him and him alone. The global church before God's throne is a church on fire for what matters in the kingdom of God, a church whose devotion to God is wholeheartedly given. And of course, we have churches today who are experiencing persecution, like the church in Smyrna and Philadelphia. Many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are going through a lot of suffering. In Mozambique, Christians have been suffering for a long time, and things are just now coming to, to the light. BBC News on March 13th reported that young girls and women in Mozambique are abducted and taken to be used sexually by Muslim terrorists, while young boys and men are beheaded. 
with machetes or castrated. In the streets, there are body parts everywhere of the victims. Our friends who are ministering there, they can't even speak. Their emails are full of lament and cries. Those who are able to escape experience hunger, suffer from homelessness, grief, and all sorts of trauma. Their suffering is also ours to bear as we lift them up to the Lord. My Diguri, now my Nigerian friends, please forgive me because I know I'm not pronouncing it well. It is a city in the northeast region of Nigeria. It used to be called the city of peace. But since Boko Haram's death, uh, birth, not death, he's not dead yet. Since Boko Haram's birth in 2002, and later on the founding of his radical Islamic group, the city is now known as the birthplace of Boko Haram. That name alone brings fear in the hearts of Christians. Many Christians in that city have lost their lives. In 2012, Aminia and Daniel, these are not their real names, and their five kids were visited by Boko Haram extremists. Daniel and his two children were cut with machetes. Daniel died, and his two sons were left for dead while the mother and the daughter watched. These two young men spent a month in the hospital after surgery, and today they carry deep scars on their necks. Five years later, as she was traveling, Aminia again encountered Boko Haram extremist, and this time she sustained three gunshots. While the men were killed and the women, including Aminia, were kidnapped and taken to Boko Haram's stronghold. In their captivity, they were asked repeatedly to deny Christ. But the women, about five of them, came together, fasted together, and gave the same answer. For us to live is Christ, but to die is gain. By God's grace, after negotiations with the government, Aminia and the, the other women were released. There is a video of Open Doors that tells the story of Aminia and her children and the trauma that they face daily. According to Open Doors, there are more Christians murdered in Nigeria for their faith than in any other country. Boko Haram, Hausa Fulani herdsmen, and other Islamic extremists group violently attack Christians, especially in northern states. Two weeks ago, Emmanuel Jatao, one of our PhD students in intercultural studies, woke up to disturbing news. Muslim extremists attacked his village in Kaduna State. They kidnapped five people, killed one person. These are Emmanuel's people, his family, his friends. Emmanuel feels their suffering strongly, and we are called to walk with Emmanuel and feel for our brothers and sisters. In many Muslim countries like Pakistan, Christian women are kidnapped, raped, and forced to marry Muslim men. Right now in Myanmar, things are not well. You can talk with some of our 
students who are from Myanmar. We have a friend there. And as we asked him what was going on, he said this, quote, the death toll is close to 700 men, women, and at least 40 children. Thousands have been beaten, tortured, and jailed. Many parts of the country are a virtual war zone. Just a couple of days ago, in an area north of Yangon, over 60 patriots were murdered in one day. It was a virtual slaughter of basically unarmed people, people willing to die for freedom, end of quote. In India, North Korea, Sri Lanka, etc., Christians are persecuted because of their faith. Although each of the churches in Revelation had different tests, all of them were called to overcome. We too are called to overcome, and we overcome by helping one another, learning from one another, standing together as Christ's global body. God's calling us to be the global church. In a way, we say in Congo that those who walk too fast slow down to let those who are slow catch up and those who are slow strive to catch up. Let's embrace a genuine walk with Jesus, a more vulnerable, open relationship with Jesus and with one another. Let's care for one another, cry with those who are crying and celebrate with those who are rejoicing, like Romans 12:15 tells us. As we stand together in unity as God's people, the darkness trembles. Our core beliefs color our thinking and actions. They impact what we say and do. We know that when one member suffers, all the body suffers. We are the body of Christ. And today, they are members of this body who are suffering. 